Hello and welcome to Every Word Jesus Spoke, the only podcast that I know of uh, that is located in the basement of this church that covers uh, all the words Jesus spoke in podcast form, uh, unless you know of some other podcast item. I know of no such thing. We, <laughs> we are a rare bird. We are, we are, then we are an exclusive we, we company. Are. I am uh, one of your hosts. Reverend Jonathan Kleinsmith, and with me is Reverend Dr. Dighton Owen. How's it going, Dighton? It's going good. It's uh, going good. How are you? Uh, how are you feeling about today's scripture? A little bit more uh, verses. Than, uh, yeah, there uh, is some uh, of the ones we've had lately, and it's a it's a good. Uh, we'll have a good discussion on this one. There are a lot of things to be talking about. I uh, so. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, I I. Am uh, too. I uh, I don't want to spoil anything, but uh, I am a big fan of weddings, so this should this should <laughs> go wedding well. feasts. Uh, so yeah, we uh, we will be exploring today John chapter two uh, verses uh, one through eleven or so, and uh, we will be talking about Jesus uh, Jesus's first miracle. Uh, which takes place at this wedding in this place called Cana. Um, and so, uh, but before we jump into the scriptures and and start to uh, exegete, that's a $5 church word, which means uh, to, what does it mean, Dighton? To read out of. Right. <laughs> as opposed to eisegete, which means to? Read into. Right. <laughs> Use those in a sentence this week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you want to impress all your friends <laughs> that are hanging around? <laughs> Wanting to know how to uh, to interpret ancient texts, just say, uh, "Oh yeah, let me exegete that real That's quick." Right. So, exegete good, eisegete bad. Yeah, you know, if you if you eisegete something, you're really just saying what you what you what wanted, you wanted to, to say. But uh, literally means to pull out of the to to pull the meaning out of the text. So we're going to try to exegete today. Part one, the setup. Uh, but before we do that, uh, let's talk about the background of, of these scriptures. Let, let's talk about the background of this story. Like, uh, what do readers really need to know before we explore John chapter 2? Well, one thing I think they, we need to remember is that uh, since this is set at a, a wedding feast, that um, the prophets often referred to or, or drew the image of salvation as a wedding feast. Mm -hmm. So this is another example of Jesus's fulfilling the prophets and that image. Um, and this will be the first of his miracles that we read of um, in the gospels. So it's a, it's a great, uh, a great story to begin with as far as his miracles concern. Um, and this takes place in, uh, we're in Galilee, Cana, yeah, I... which is a Gentile region. Mm -hmm. um, so that'll play into some of the story as well. Uh, so it's uh, this is a text that is, as you've said, a few more verses than usual, uh, but there is a lot here to look at. Yeah, and uh, there's there's so many, uh, so much foreshadowing of, of other yeah. events in the Gospels that we'll we'll talk about uh, later. But but uh, one of the things that sticks out to me that's probably important is is understanding um, how weddings worked right in in ancient Ju judah uh, ancient judea um at this point they uh 
they were big affairs, right? They were. Yeah, I mean, they were festivals. Right. A big affair. I'm trying to think of something comparable today. Um, Oktoberfest? (laughs) Oktoberfest. That would be a good one. Uh, Yeah, I mean, it is a blowout. Lots of uh, activity, family, friends, um, lots of wine, Mm -hmm. uh, those sorts of things. Uh, so they were they were big family and community affairs. I mean, I think Jewish weddings were um, involved a whole community. It wasn't just right. the bride and groom or just a small group in the family. It ju- generally included the entire community that was uh, just assumed would be invited. Right. Right. And so there in Cana, uh, that is a village that's about nine miles north, north. of Nazareth. Uh, so it's pretty close to where Jesus grew up. Right. Um, and so when we find out later that that his mother was at the wedding, it's not it's not unheard of to travel nine miles for a wedding. Oh, right. Yeah. Uh, this is definitely something that that seems, you know, uh, like just a normal thing. Um, they what about wine is, is you know we're going to be talking about wine a little bit and uh uh you know what what's the custom on wine in in in, in this uh, period do i believe like what, i'm not going to mention who told me this but uh there are some people that are christians that believe that this story is about jesus purifying water and making it eat more potable is that what this story is about no i don't think so i think this is uh, i think uh I think wine was a symbol of purification or purity. It was also used in celebrations like we have here. And oftentimes, uh, Jewish, I don't know if it was a custom or, or how that would be viewed as, uh, but the wine would be watered down by the host to prevent drunkenness. Right. And here you have um, water that's become pure wine, no water added. Um, so that's why we hear this. You know, now you've brought out the best wine, right? <laughs> later in the conversation, right? Uh, so uh, it's it's a uh, wine is a symbol of uh, of uh, and, and festivals or wedding festivals in general are an Old Testament uh, symbol of God being with the people, right? So wine takes a is a, a has a big part in Jewish custom, right? And Jewish ritual. So we see that, of course, playing out here. Yeah, well, and, and, and you know, one of the um, I used to know the entire phrase in Hebrew, but one of the blessings um, that you would say, you know, even at like a Passover festival or, or, or something like that, like Baruch uh, Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Haaretz, right? Like you're you're thanking God for the fruits of the, of the earth, the, right? Yes, fruits right. of the the vine, fruits of the earth. And uh, I probably just butchered that to any of our Hebrew speaking people that are listening to this. I am extremely sorry. Uh, I'm sure I didn't say that correctly. Um, But, but uh, the, the idea is uh, when they were imbibing, it's, it's in a celebratory way. This isn't like, Oh, wow. We have clean drinking water, Uh, (laughs) you know? uh, And, and that's, you know, hard. We come from a tradition, Dighton and I do Methodists that we certainly value, you know, sobriety and, and uh, not over in overly imbibing, you know, um, we, we uh, basically invented teetotaling, Uh, but to, to read that into these verses, like some folks do is, 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 uh, is maybe, 
crossing the line. Yeah, water was not as pure back then, and you you would sometimes need to, you know, you would you'd need to to use fermentation processes to have some sort of drink that people could actually drink and not get sick with. Um, and and so yeah, that was a lot more common. But this seems to be just celebratory wine we're about to right. talk about, right? right. Like, and there, I mean, there's this image, the old, uh, the old image of God's presence with the people was water. You remember when Moses oh, yeah, strikes yeah. the rock, water comes out. Right. People are now it's wine, which is the new covenant represents right. Jesus and the new covenant. So there's this definite difference between water and wine uh, in the story and in the culture. But this, this is that, like you said, that, that celebratory sort of festival. I mean, there's going to be drinking some wine and having a good time with family and friends. And so Jesus has just uh, called his first disciples. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, uh, he uh, is, is in the process of like, uh, you know, we, we know he's already been to the desert. He's received the Holy Spirit when, with his baptism. Um, you know, we, we know that he's he's so far, he's kind of taken a slow path to get here. Uh, he's probably around 30 years old at right. this point. And uh, uh, for, for all we know, he's at this wedding with his mom because she invited him. We don't know. Right. We don't know why he's here, but... But we've reached this point of the story, and so uh, I think we have all the background information we need to go forward, unless there's anything you'd want to add, Dighton. No, I think we've covered it all. Uh, I think uh, we'll hit on some other topics or re-hit again, but I think uh, that's a pretty good background. Part two, the red letters. All right. So that means we're ready for our red letters. This is, uh, when we, again, when we say red letters, we're talking about the words of Jesus. And obviously we read the text that surrounds it as well. But uh, here are the uh, words of scripture that we're going to be studying today. Starting in John chapter 2, verse 1, and we're going to go through verse 11. On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee. And the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine gave out, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. And Jesus said to her, Woman, what concern is that to you and to me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Now standing there were six stone water jars for the Jewish rites of purification each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to them, fill the jars with water, and they filled them up to the brim. He said to them, now draw some out and take it to the chief steward. So they took it. When the steward tasted the water that had become wine and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the steward called the bridegroom and said to him, everyone serves the good wine first, and then the inferior wine after the guests have become drunk but you have kept the good wine until now. Jesus did this, the first of his signs in Cana of Galilee, and revealed his glory, and his disciples believed in him. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Part three, digging deeper. Thanks be to God. All right, Dighton, I'll give you first crack. What what sticks out to you about today's passage? Oh, where do we start? Um, 
I think one of the first things that sticks out to me is uh, Jesus' response to his mother. What what does that what concern is that to you or to me? My hour has not yet come. He's already foreshadowing uh, a little bit of uh, of saying this. His time to go fully public is not yet uh, has not yet arrived. Um, but um, uh, then he goes on to do the, uh, you know, he refers to his mom as woman, which is not disrespectful. No, no. Yeah. There's a big cultural there's gap a there. Cultural gap there that <laughs> you need to be aware of. It is a way of, of uh, in fact, it's a, a title of respect, a right. title of honor. Right. So he responds to her in this gentle way, although we often read it as, <laughs> yeah, woman, of, please. Woman, please. <laughs> you know, he's being disrespectful. He is not. Uh, being disrespectful, uh, um, although those words sound pretty strong, uh, but his hour has not yet come. It's not yet time for his uh, his full uh, revelation of who he is to be made public yet. But he goes ahead and fills water, has them fill the jars with with water. Uh, those big, like it says, thirty gallons each, twenty or thirty gallons each, uh, with water. Um, and, and performs this miracle, and we'll talk more about that in just a minute. But his his mother responds, "Do whatever he tells you," which right. to me indicates that she trusts in Jesus, that he right. knows when his hour has come. If he had said, "Just forget it, let's just go on like we are," right, that's what they would have done. But uh, well, she is trusting him, and I like this part. Like. I almost wonder, you know, if we should read this a little more playfully, right? You get a, exactly. little, a little bit of back and forth between uh, Jesus and his mom. Like, you know, woman, what concern is that to you? And to me, my hour's not yet come. What's his mom's response? Just do what he just tells do you. do whatever he says. <laughs> and, and does he argue after that? No, no. It's just, yeah, it's, I think you could probably read this a little like that. His mom and, and son just kind of having this verbal volley back and forth that could be kind of kind of fun kind of playful between the two of them and uh, and again we see this kind of recurring theme jesus honors his mother that's right, right? that's right he's he, honoring her that's right he doesn't have to do this uh he's not being dismissive or disrespectful uh and like you said in fact the, 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 that he goes on to honor her by doing what she asks even though he knows it's not yet his time right for his hour and so, uh, so these jars that uh, they use—they're—they're they're these stone jars, basically, right? They're—they're right. they're used for purification. Um, that's a, a fancy way of saying basically they like to wash up before they do things. Right, yeah, they have certain uh, rituals they go through. Right, and and, and uh, those rituals have to do with the Jewish faith, right? They—they they consider so many of the things um, around them to be impure. Um, you know, and, and we know a lot of those things because we read the Old Testament. We know about, um, you know, Levitical law and things like that. But also, again, remember, we're in Galilee, this uh, this uh, Galilee of the Gentiles area uh, where, you know, people are, are kind the, the Jewish people are kind of extreme in their Judaism and they see uh, the non-Jewish things as being uh, uh, particularly corrupt, but they're surrounded by those things. Right. So, so this uh, there's there's this sense that they, these guests probably uh, they this is probably an all Jewish wedding, uh, 
would be the guess. And these ritual uh, jars had already been used for people to become ritually pure before they uh, really started the celebration. Uh, now they're they're empty. Jesus says, "Fill them up." Um, and so, uh, you know, we're starting off in kind of like a a a weird way uh, because uh, you're using something that's used for ritual purity uh, to now be a thing you use to party with. <laughs> <laughs> well, the rabbinical teaching always taught that stone could not contract. Impurity, right? So, um, as opposed it, to cl clay, like a clay jar, like a clay jar. If you if you put water in it and then use it for something impure, you'd have to destroy. You'd have it. to destroy it, right? Not stone. Everything stone was uh, would not contract an impurity, whatever that was, right? So um, these are big, what twenty or thirty gallons? How many were there? Six of them. Wow, <laughs> so yeah, that's a lot. Fill them to the brim, uh, and take some out and take it to the steward, the host of the party. So now they're using these jars for, like you said, for a party, for a good time. And, and not only is this, you know, you know, I mean, I think that Jesus could have been applauded if he if he turned it from, you know, water into really cheap box wine, yeah. you know, <laughs> like, 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 uh, you know, something you, you, you celebrate, you know, uh, like buying a new car with, you know, yeah. like really low level Just, wine, but instead it's the, the good stuff, right? It, right. it is not only um, wine, it is the best wine. And pure, no water. I mean, it's not yeah, watered pure, down. No, yeah. It? So, and this idea that, it, that the number of gallons each of them holds, um, you know, that that's a sign or a symbol of, of Jesus's or God's, this abundance that God always provides us, this abundance of grace that always is offered to us from God uh, or from Jesus. Uh, so I think that's speaking to uh, some of the characteristics of grace that God shows us is how abundant that is. I mean, how many guests were there that you'd have to fill up? Well, I mean, 180 gallons. Right. <laughs> yeah, so, so if you had 180 guests, they could each have a gallon, a gallon of, of wine. wine. So, okay. So that's a pretty big wedding. That's, uh, that's a huge uh, wedding. If they were all really into drinking. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it's, uh, it's a large wedding, obviously. Um, and so let's talk about, uh, you know, we've kind of looked at the surface. And and on its own, this is a um, this is a, a, a momentous event, right? Jesus's first miracle. Right. Um, now, uh, you know, we've talked about uh, in other episodes how the different gospel writers kind of write with with different uh, um, like styles. Uh, and and Mark and uh, you know kind of tends to be like a chronological. This is what happened. This is what happened. This is what happened. And kind of real quick in his pace and storytelling. Uh, but with John, it's different, right? We know timelines don't always matter, and in the sequence of events is not really what they're trying to communicate. Um, but one of the things John does do, or at least a lot of biblical scholars think that he does, um, is to sort of. Uh, to craft his gospel around these signs, right? right. These, uh, you know, they, they think that if you look at the way that John is structured, there are these seven signs 
that Jesus does. And this is the first um, sign. And what do those signs, what do they indicate, uh, Dighton? Like what, what, are, what, are, what are we supposed to learn from these signs? I think some of the things we're supposed to learn is uh, about Jesus's divinity and humanity. Right. I think uh, we also learn about, uh, as John indicates here, the, the abundance of grace that God shows us. Uh, especially when we are undeserving. Um, so there are, I mean, there are several things here that uh, that these signs will end up revealing. Um, it talks about Jesus as being the healer because there's some healing miracles or signs here, curing, uh, healing a paralytic. Um, and this is the gospel that has uh, feeding the 5,000 uh, which shows that God is our provider or Jesus is our right. provider. Um, raising Lazarus from the dead uh, is an image of, of God giving us new life, even though we were dead in our sin, that sort of thing. So there's a lot of things here that, that touch on not just Jesus's humanity, such as attending a wedding. Or and, listening to his mom. Or listening to his mom. <laughs> right. But also his divinity, that he has, that he is indeed, uh, that he and God indeed are one. Mm -hmm. uh, so the signs, the seven signs that uh, that he will perform uh, will reveal uh, more about Jesus's character and his relationship in the Trinity. Yeah, and there's uh, there's other imagery as well, right? You know, this uh, this wedding uh, takes place on the third day, right? Um, right? Which may foreshadow Jesus's own resurrection. Um, the banquet itself could allude to the messianic banquet, right? The, the feast that inaugurates God's rule. Um, you know, Jesus as, uh, you know, talking about the bridegroom, um, it could be talking about, uh, Jesus as, you know, uh, you know, we certainly see this imagery, uh, both in the old Testament, like the, you know, right. the, the book of, of, uh, of, uh, Hosea, um, uh, the the um and we see it in, in the New Testament later on in the in the book of Revelation, this idea of Jesus as the bridegroom or, or God God's own self as the bridegroom right. and, mm -hmm. and the people of God, Israel as the bride, right? Like and so there there are a lot of things going on underneath the surface um in this passage that sort of point to, yeah, I mean the miracle itself is is Jesus comes in. And he turns water into wine and he saves a wedding party. Right. right. <laughs> uh, and, and which is no light thing. You know, I, I've, I've heard other commentaries on this where they, they speak about like, this would have been a huge embarrassment to run out of wine at a, at a, right. an event like this, like the, the, the husband and wife uh, there, you know, they could have gotten really off on the wrong foot with their entire community. Um, and, and it would have been kind of an embarrassing thing that hung over their heads for a long time. So I'm not to dismiss the miracle itself. Um, but uh, when you throw in all this other symbolism, it sort of points to what Jesus is aiming for, right? right. The, the inauguration of this uh, kingdom and uh, Jesus himself as the bridegroom, right? right. Yeah. And I think as I, as we've talked about before, this idea of, of, uh, the celebration of at a wedding um, and the wine, uh, which is a symbol of God's presence uh, with the people, um, 
I think I think this is all pointed towards God, toward uh, Jesus's beginning, like you said, beginning uh, this process towards the kingdom, mm-hmm. uh, pointing pointing in that direction. Um, this is where he starts, but not where he is. No, well, yeah, right. <laughs> right. Um. Part four, making it real. And so, uh, you know, looking, we've kind of looked at it from multiple angles, like the, the mundane, what does this mean? Just if, if it's just the miracle, right? I like, I like how I just say just the miracle. Just the miracle. <laughs> and then we've, we've kind of looked, um, you know, a little bit symbolically, what, what does, um, what does it mean, uh, in the context of, of the greater kingdom? Well, you know, I think uh, now we're at the point, unless there's other things you want to cover, where we need to ask, what does it mean for us today, right? Like, what can we glean from this? For me, the, the takeaway on this one is that uh, since there's this talk about wine and that that's a, a symbol of God's presence um, and a wedding feast or a wedding is in the prophet's teachings and the prophet's mind is uh, um, a moment of salvation that uh, this whole story helps us remember that uh, salvation and um, uh, abundant life are present here and now. Mm, Yeah. This, this idea of 30 gallons, 30 gallon jars over abundance of of grace. Uh, This points us or maybe foreshadows or gives us a hint that that God's salvation and abundant life are not something in the future. Right. Not something we have to worry about doing certain things to arrive at. They are present here and now. And in fact, they are in Jesus himself. Um, and that's where, that's where we find it now, not some future point. It is here and now. Yeah. And I think that's, uh, that kind of, you know, it goes back to a, another recurring theme that I, I think has sort of been laid out for us that we keep rediscovering as we go through the words of Jesus is that the kingdom of God is not just a future reality, right? right? It's, like, and, it's like eternal life. Eternal life, you know, we have, we have this tendency to think that eternal life is sometime off in the future, maybe after death and, you know, this right. after but no, it's here and now. It's also not yet, but it begins here and now. At the moment of salvation, eternal life begins. Well, yeah, and uh, so I saw, uh, I, you know, I, I think it's funny that we use wedding language here because this actually, you know, it actually works really well as an example. Um, like uh, a wedding is not a marriage. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm trying to think about like um, – like my wedding day with my beautiful, uh, sweet wife, Jamie, Nicole Kleinsmith, if you're out there listening, which I know you're not because you never listen to my stuff. Uh, <laughs> is there anything else bad I want to say about her? Because I know well, she won't listen. Air. Yeah, no, not on the air. Not okay. Not the air. I mean, then one of our other three listeners would have to tell her though. So, <laughs> But anyways, Jamie and I have a great relationship and uh, and, I, and I really value it. And we had a wedding that was, it was just like perfect. You know, it was one of those like, oh man, everything clicked and it went really well. And 
and da da da. But I can't imagine what my relationship with her would be like if after the wedding I, you know, didn't move in with her, didn't talk to right. her anymore, <laughs> didn't have anything to do with her, just kind of was like, well, I'm married. Yeah. Uh, I think that's kind of what we do as modern Christians oftentimes. We're like, well, I. I came to this moment of salvation, you know, where I, you know, I, I prayed the magic prayer and now I'm good to go. That's right. <laughs> we don't actually live with Christ. We don't actually invite Christ to be a part of our lives. We don't actually make Jesus our, uh, our, our Lord. We just want him to be our savior. Yeah, right? We want him to be our friend, our savior. Uh, but that's true. I think that's the way we tend to look at at uh, at salvation and at a relationship with Jesus. Well, you know, he's my friend now. I don't have to do anything else. Right. It's all taken care of. No. Um, it's an ongoing process. And, and you know, and, and Wesley talks about that sanctification. Yeah. Uh, this isn't a, it's not a one-time thing. It is an ongoing process that we work through, work toward. Um, so I think you're right on target. And when I just, uh, you know, I think that it's unfortunate because I think a lot of, you know, what's wrong with the church today, not that I'm implying there's anything wrong with any particular churches anywhere out there. Um, but, but I think that, you know, if you look at the church today and you ask an outsider, what's wrong with the church? I mean, you're going to have some people that are like, well, they're superstitious or, you know, they have problems with people's metaphysical beliefs or the idea of a higher power. Those are going to be a small percentage of people, though. The vast majority of people, um, if they had something critical to say about the church, would be, it would usually, and this is what I've heard anecdotally, but also there are statistics that show this, is that a lot of times Christians don't live uh, like people who are trying to be like Jesus. Right. And, and part of the reason for that is because we made it all about this transaction at the beginning, and then we didn't live out the rest of our lives in a way that, that fit the calling we were given. Right. So, <laughs> yeah, I think, but we do tend to do that. I mean, we tend to take that one step, and uh, after that we think it's, it's a done deal. We don't have to do anything else. We don't have to... Like you said, we view Jesus as our Savior, but not as as our Lord. Right. Which are two separate, two separate yeah, images, yeah. two separate titles. Well, I think I looked it up one time. Like the word, uh, in reference to Jesus, the word uh, Savior in the Greek, I think it's the word soter. Right. And I think it's used like maybe 20 times in the New Testament, something like that. But the word uh, Kyrie, or you know, the a variation of it, the word Lord, is used maybe ten times more than oh, that yeah. to refer to Jesus, right? Like, so it's not enough to just make Jesus your Savior, but you also have to make Him the Lord of your life, right? Like, like that, and, and, and you know, that sounds like coercive language nowadays, and it that does. sounds like I'm I'm trying to get you to buy into a meta narrative or or uh, you know everything that in our postmodern culture we say not to do. <laughs> exactly. I mean, Lord is an all-encompassing uh, image. Yeah. That it affects every aspect of your life and it's an ongoing kind of relationship. Right. Savior is more of a, a constraint, uh, more of a, uh, well, a smaller image, so to speak. It's a, relegated to this kind of a one time event. Uh, and this is what it means for me. Uh, but taking that step into making Jesus Lord is a much broader term, much broader impact uh, over time. Yeah. I, mean, if, I think we, if we, you know, 
we anthropomorphize uh, God a little bit uh, on yeah. this on this one. If, if we're, if we're going to do it, it's like we're ready for God to jump in front of us and take the bullet for us, right? Yeah, thanks, Jesus, for that. Yeah, thanks. But uh, we don't want to actually live our life in service to the one who took the bullet right. for us. Yeah, that's right. And, uh, and, and, and yet— um, you know, you you read the letters of Paul, and you read the 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 other epistles, and and you read the Gospels themselves. It's actually when we give ourselves in service to this Lord that we find the greatest level of freedom, right? right? And I don't when when I say freedom, I don't mean the ability to do whatever I want to do, uh, but instead the ability to do whatever I want to do, being used in the right way. That brings ultimate joy and happiness, right. right? Right. Yeah, I mean, what would have happened if the disciples had just related to Jesus as their Savior and, and stopped at that? Yeah, yeah. Where would we be now? Uh, we, yeah. I, I think it seems very unlikely that we would be we would talking be, about Jesus. Right. That's right. We wouldn't be here doing this or wouldn't have, you know, the, uh, worship or the church, you know, as we have it now. Uh, so it's it's a much broader term to use Lord than it is to, to think in terms of only savior. Well, and, and, you know, not to get too Methodist or too Wesleyan, um, but the way we understand grace, right? Like, um, a, a, you know, we understand grace as working in three different ways. Um, one of those ways is that it's prevenient. That means it goes before us and enables us, uh, like restores a measure of our will where we are able to choose to follow Christ or to not follow Christ. And it's justifying, right? We, we know that what Jesus did for us on the cross saves us from our sins and restores us to right relationship with God. But the part we always forget, and, and this is not just a Methodist thing, this is actually any mainline Christian tradition, um, any tradition worth its salt in, in, in Christianity will include this last thing that grace does. And that is that it's sanctifying. It makes us like Jesus. It makes us holy people. And if we cooperate with grace and we're doing the will of Jesus, if we're following Jesus, if we made Jesus our Lord, we will start to be sanctified. We'll start to look like Jesus. And that's scary. It's <laughs> scary. And it's a process. It's not like it's a one and done. Yeah, I mean, this is a process. We are, we are, as Wesley said, we're going on to perfection. Mm -hmm. It's not like, oh, we've reached it, um, as some some believe. Um, so, sanctifying grace is an ongoing, uh, an ongoing process, an ongoing experience. Well, and John Wesley even uh, thought it was possible that this sanctification process would continue even after, after we die. That's right. Yeah. You know, so yeah. Um, so we, we go on, um, we go on to perfection, but not like we never sin. There's, there's still this possibility of, you know, um, what, what Wesley called unintentional sin, right? Like uh, sometimes we just sin because we're negligent, sinful people living <laughs> in a broken world. But um, the way that we use our will is important. And, uh, and because we've been, we've been given the spirit of God and Jesus will talk about that later. Um, yeah. <laughs> it, it enables us to live lie, our lives in such a way where we are being shaped and molded into people that look like Christ. And we might not get it right all the time, um, but that process has begun in us and we can cooperate with the process and lean into it um, and be those kind of people.
Right. It's going on to perfection in love, being able mm-hmm. to love as God loves, not as you and I qualify, but uh, being able to, being perfect in love. Right. It's a process. We will get it wrong most of the time. <laughs> so. <laughs> and in this process, it can start with a party. It can That's start, right. It starts with a party. It can start with, uh, yeah, this, this kind of, uh, this kind of um, wedding idea um, where it all gets inaugurated, but it blossoms into a marriage, right? right? Like it blossoms into a long-term relationship where um, we are God's and God is ours and we are building the kingdom together. Exactly. So, right. All right. Well, do you have any other words of wisdom? I think we've covered a lot. I I think we've covered... uh, uh, everything we needed to cover and that we could cover in this time. Um, so it's all about abundant grace and and uh, salvation and abundant life here and now. Here and now. And also listen to your mama. And also, right, listen to your mom. <laughs> Do whatever he tells you. <laughs> so. All right. Well, I, this is a fun episode. Yeah, right? it was a good, a good time. I, uh, I think that uh, our three listeners will be pleased. So if you're out there, <laughs> Uh, please give us a rating on iTunes or whatever other podcast application you use. Uh, you know, ratings help other people to find the podcast. And we truly believe that every word that Jesus spoke, not our podcast, but the actual words, the words that Jesus right, spoke, are life-giving and uh, worthwhile for anyone who would hear them. So uh, if you do that, you help someone discover those words. You're not only doing that, you're also helping them discover life. So please do that. Uh, if you want more information about uh, our church, you can check out our website, mychapelhill.org, and you can see pictures of me and Dighton on there. I know that, whoa, technology. Oh, man. What will they think of next? What will they think of next? <laughs> but even if you never decide to join our church or any church, we want you to know that Jesus loves you and that we are glad we got to spend this time with you today. So, Oops. Oh, and we dropped, uh, I just dropped, we dropped a, a, Bible, a Bible, so oh you're God. about to hear a lightning let's, strike next. Let's end on that note, quick. <laughs> so hopefully we'll have a new podcast out next week. Otherwise, we got struck by lightning. See you guys. See ya. This podcast is a ministry of Chapel Hill United Methodist Church in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. For more information, go to mychapelhill.org.